Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to episode 114 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about not-quite-so-big data and the idea of money law, something like Moneyball for law firms. Tom is back from his world tour, and we wanted to pose the question, is there now a global aspect to legal technology, and see where our conversation took us. We really have no idea where this one's going to go and just wanted to bat the question around. So, Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to have an open and unplanned and who knows what discussion of global aspects of legal technology and and whether they are changing our approach to legal technology and, I guess, technology in general. In our second segment, we'll be comparing notes on our mutual experiences with the Samsung Galaxy S4. And as you usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start using the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic, and that's the uh, global aspects of legal technology. When Dennis first proposed this topic to me, I have to admit I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about, and I have to admit now that I st- still don't know exactly what he's talking about. I, I'm not sure Dennis knows what he wants to talk about, so this is going to be an interesting uh, experiment I think we're going to have here, but I, I just got back from two weeks in Europe and two weeks in Asia, and maybe that qualifies me to discuss legal technology in a global context. So, Dennis, why don't you start off and tell us what you mean by global aspects of legal technology? Those trips totally qualify you to talk about this topic we'll time. See. So sort of three things. So one was your trip got me thinking about this, or actually multiple trips. Then uh, being at MasterCard, which we're a global company by any definition. So we think of things, and I look at things globally almost almost every day. And then the third thing was a conversation I had with Mark Lortzen recently about you know whether there's anything really new in legal technology, or is it really the old stuff? that's just now enabled by technology getting better. That's where where we find the newness. So I just wanted to pose this question, Tom, and say uh, in sort of two aspects of this. So I, I think one is, and maybe your trips do qualify you, especially on this one, is are we doing some things where because of what we might be doing globally, either in terms of travel, clients, uh, other things that we're, you know, the people we collaborate with, uh, that's uh, forcing us or making us want to look at more global aspects of technology? And does that sort of change our choices? And the other thing is to to say, are we too U.S.-centric in how we look at legal technology? Are there things happening in other parts of the world that maybe should inform or even change the way that we do things? So are we kind of looking for new things in all the old places is sort of my question. And just to kind of throw the topic out, I think that sort of where I think classically, where I noticed that I looked, or I think globally in terms of technology, really comes down to the whole cell phone carrier question. And I really think a lot of people will say, 
do I make my carrier choice or do I make my plan choice on my expectation to perhaps travel outside the U.S.? And um, do I want to make a decision that makes it a little bit easier for me to do that? So I think that's one place that you start with. And I know Tom, obviously going to Europe and Asia, you probably ran into at least that example uh, and perhaps some other things as well. Well, I think, um, and I'll confess, I still don't know exactly where we're going here, but I think that if we take that basic premise where, you know, it starts with you about the cell phone, you know, there are those kinds of when you think about working and living on a global basis, there are a lot of technology considerations you have to think about that you would not think about if you were just in the United States. And I think that for me anyway, with the travel that I made, the biggest consideration I had to make was, I wouldn't really limit it to the cell phone. I would say that the biggest consideration I had to make was how to get access to data. In the United States, we take it for granted. We have free Wi-Fi everywhere. We have our own home internet. We have internet at work. When you leave the United States, instantly there's a premium on the ability of, for you to get that mobile data. Now, granted, there are free Wi-Fi spots all over the place worldwide, but I think that in certain areas, you have to worry a little bit more about the security, maybe not any less than you do in the United States, um, but uh, at least in terms of getting information on your cell phone, you have to think a little bit more about what's going to be the best way for me to have access to information, to be able to get to the stuff that I need to get to. And so whether that means you're going to uh, have a phone that has a data plan, I think really the ideal situation is and where I would wish that most cell companies would go to is unlocked cell phones. And I'd love to have an unlocked phone so that I could travel to another country and just simply pop in another SIM card and use a data plan from, a, you know, kind of a, a grab and go plan from those particular countries where I would be paying so much less than I wound up paying because I have had to purchase a certain amount of data from my own company here. And so I'd say that that was, in terms of my trip, one of the biggest considerations was, how was I going to get access to what I needed to. It turned out to be a lot easier than I expected, although it depended primarily on me being in my hotel room. I, I had free Wi-Fi in every single hotel room I happened to be in. Um, some of it was really good. Some of it was really not very good, but it got me the access to just about anything that I wanted. And I think that to a certain extent, that's something that uh, I think a difference that we have now today that you didn't have in the past, which is now, uh, you know, when I, I took my first trip internationally back in, uh, I guess it was the late 90s, I didn't have anywhere near the ability to communicate worldwide or to have access to all my stuff worldwide as I did before. And, and that's changed. And I think that has a lot to do with cloud computing, a lot to do with the way that information is stored and shared these days. So to a certain extent, traveling and being a global person and working abroad or working in the U.S., there are many aspects to it that are very much the same as being in the United States, and I think technology has a lot to do with that. No, I think that's great, Tom, because what I would draw from that is this notion of if I start to think globally, and so you're saying, well, how do I get access to my data? And you sort of think, oh, I'm going to be in these places. I don't know whether I can get anything. And that may be the case here as well. And so you're saying, well, my conclusion is I might want an unlocked phone. 
phone. Well, if you're in, you know, and you work in areas where there's poor reception or you maybe move from different places, then you start to say, well, actually thinking in that way, I, as I localize it, I come back and maybe there's some good ideas there. Or maybe I, I think of what I carry with me or the bag I use as I think if I'm traveling overseas with that, maybe that comes back and informs some of the the choices that I want to want to make locally. I don't know whether you had to take adapters or you wanted to, you know, came back with a new idea for a new laptop bag or anything like that. Did, did any of that happen? Um, well, obviously I had to take adapters. I had to have a, an adapter for every country that I went to and, and it was different in just about every country, but having, you know, a global adapter is a pretty easy thing to purchase on the internet. It's pretty simple to go to Amazon or go to a, a website that sells those kinds of things. I won't say that it changed a lot of my other opinions about how to do certain things. I sort of modified what I do now for working abroad and for being abroad. I can't imagine that it really made that big a difference to me. You know, so I think that to a certain extent, if we're talking about using technology, I would say that there weren't a lot of differences. As long as I was able to get to the information that I needed to, that I felt like I was able to participate using technology in the same way that anybody else in those countries that I happened to be accessing. You know, when I was in China, you think that everybody's on their phone here. My gosh, everybody is on their phone in China and they're all $50 phones that are cheap knockoffs of iPhones or Android devices and there's just millions and millions of them and they are all on their phones and I mean it's it's very much a mobile society and not a whole lot different from what I'm seeing uh right here in Dallas or anywhere else in the U.S. Yeah, and I, I think that's another observation too, Tom, that the mobile aspect of what people are doing and some of what's driven mobile is coming from overseas back to us. And maybe right. we can come back to that because when I think of mobile innovation where really interesting things are happening, I think Africa first because I think there's some really cool things happening there and whether some of that's going to come back here. The other thing I noticed in terms of, of technology too that had me thinking, Tom, was I've always had an international audience for my blog and my articles, even my website, I think early in the earliest days of my website, maybe 95 even, but certainly 96, I remember getting, having an email exchange with somebody in the Philippines, and I just thought it was the coolest thing to have you know a web page that had that global uh, audience. But certainly that's the case for my blog and articles. And, and I find that I actually have changed the way that I write some articles not to be so US-centric. So I think sometimes Sometimes people may find that even somebody who feels they're doing a, a sort of local blog or something for their just for their own practice that they develop this this international audience that surprises them. I've run into a number of people who've had that experience. So, Tom, have you found that either yourself or talking to other people? Well, yes and no. I mean, I would say that my audience, to the extent that I'm not blogging as much as I used to, but to the extent that I've had an international audience, it tends to be from the more English-speaking countries, so UK, Canada. Canada, Australia are the ones that I have communicated with through my blog from various points in time. I really think that that sort of thing depends on the content of the blog. I mean, I think your blog lends itself to an international audience. You're talking about things that are of interest. I think mine is too. I don't know why I didn't have that kind of 
global uh, contact with other people that often. But, uh, you know, I would say that if you're going to write something on, for example, the Kansas family law blog, and you're talking about Kansas family law cases, you are less likely to have a global audience than if you're talking on topics that have that more global reach. But I think you're right. I think that lawyers need to be thinking about how to position themselves to deal with an international audience when they market themselves, when they do things, because their clients may come from other places, not just uh, from the United States. I will say that I frequently, this probably doesn't qualify as an answer for you, but I say that I frequently these days get requests for legal representation from many people from overseas, primarily to help them realize the windfall of whatever gold they found in Iraq or Afghanistan (laughs) or Nigeria or somewhere else. That's unfortunately the extent of the global reach that I've gotten so far with my blog, at least lately. But I do think that what we're doing these days has that potential to reach across those borders and lawyers really need to to keep that in mind when they're... uh positioning themselves. Well, I was going to say that Kansas Family Law Blog, that's actually the sort of thing where I've sometimes heard people been surprised. So you may find that that specific blog or certain blog post may actually get some interest from people who are immigrants or planning on immigrating, you know, families of people who've immigrated, and all of a sudden you develop this little area you you never expected. Another thing I sort of reflexively, I found the other day, thought of things internationally was was just in the whole area of apps. You know, what sort of apps do I almost by default want to have on a smartphone? And I think of things like, you know, Google translation apps, time zone calculators. I mean, if you work with people around the world, figuring out what's the best time to have a meeting is really a tricky thing. I mean, Tom, you're the expert on apps. Do you, do you think that enters into the equation too, where you say, wow, here's some apps, currency converters, those sorts of things that I should just put on my smartphone. I think you're right about the apps and what you're talking about is exactly right. Uh, When you are thinking about dealing with people on a global basis, you need to think about the different kinds of apps that you might use. One of the best things about the Samsung phone that I brought with me was that the minute that I got into a different time zone, and this really works in the US too, but it was more striking when I was overseas, was that the lock screen showed the current time where I happen to be now as well as the time back home. So I would automatically know if I could call home or not, or where they were in in their day, and whether it was uh, the right time to communicate with them, which I thought was tremendously helpful. But having a currency calculator, having a translator, having a map, uh, the ability to get around on maps, those types of things were just amazingly helpful for me as I was traveling. And so I think that that's, I tell people also that when they're at least doing the traveling, to make sure that no matter where you happen to be, if, if you're in a big city that has mass transit, I found that just about every city in the world that has mass transit has developed some sort of app for their mass transit. And I found myself, especially in China and Singapore, taking the subway and having an app to tell me where the subway lines were, how to get from one station to the next, where to go to find the subway was really, really, really very helpful. And I think that apps are making that possible. We didn't have those, um, you know, you'd have to go and find a subway map that you print out or just go and 
look at the map at one of the subway stations. And now being able to actually route yourself when you're trying to get from one place to another, I think is pretty amazing. So I agree. I, I have a travel folder on my phone, on my iPad that has a number of apps that would help me when I happen to be traveling. And, and those are the types of things that I think about. Yeah. So my sense is, Tom, that in this, as you said, things are getting easier, that maybe the global aspect is part of the consideration, especially for people who travel or have international clients at the moment. Maybe it's not sort of filtered down into day-to-day decisions. But just a couple of of areas I I wanted to mention is that some of us may actually have some international factors enter into our basic decisions. My website's hosted in Canada, which, you know, brings up the whole cloud thing that we've talked about. And when you're in the world of collaboration and collaboration tools and technologies, often you're going to find that somebody is outside the U.S. And I don't know, Tom, we talked a couple of weeks ago about whether our collaboration tools and technologies book is ready for for a, a new edition, but if it is, I, I think that certainly an international element will be part of what we would talk about in that book. No, I agree. I think that we have always said in terms of our collaboration book that the tagline has always been that they will help you work with other people, whether they're around the corner or around the world. And I think that applies even more these days. I think that these tools are more helpful and more likely to help other individuals that I would be working with on a global basis. I think we've talked about it in terms of of eliminating the need for travel and eliminating the need for going. We, we were talking about it in terms of the bad economy and you know maybe not traveling from Dallas to New York, but uh, it really could apply from traveling from New York to Geneva or Beijing to San Francisco. And uh, you know those kinds of tools really can help in those areas. You know I will notice, and I will say that one thing that I've noticed that there is a difference in terms of technology, in terms of the stuff that I do for a living, has to do a lot with the wave that data and information is considered around the rest of the world. As most of our listeners probably know, most of the world takes a uh, stricter interest in privacy than the United States does. I know that when it comes to electronic discovery, a lot of foreign countries are wary of having U.S. companies involved in that because it might involve storing that data within the United States where it would come under the influence of, of laws or even come under the influence of NSA spying. And, you know, one thing that impressed me a lot on my tour around were all of the ways that information is protected in many countries, uh, primarily personal information, and the priority placed on protecting that, where probably here, we're not seeing that as much. I think that, one, it has to do with the laws and the kind of open liberal ways of getting to information, but I think also it has a lot to do with the social environment and with sharing, and I think that with social networks becoming as popular as they are, we're seeing more people being willing to share more things here. So I I think that's an interesting difference that I noticed on on my travels and how it may affect us in a technology way. Well, Tom, I'm so pleased. Without any prompting, I got you to come around to the point that I was hoping that you would get to on this podcast. You're, you're welcome. But I want to flip the question here as we kind of work our way to the end of the segment and ask, what can or should we be learning from abroad? Is our approach to legal technology too U.S.-centric? And I think I'm, I might have mentioned on the podcast recently, but I'm going back to a story from a tech show, ABA tech show I was at maybe 10 years or, or more ago, where I ran into an attendee who had come from Nigeria with a couple of members of her firm and 
they decided that technology was changing everything and they wanted to learn as much as they can and this was the best resource and they saved up and spent a lot of money to get there to try to learn what they could and one of the things I remember them talking about was how they were trying to figure out what to do mobile because they knew that there was no way that the cables could be put in in Nigeria it was just too expensive and I just find myself more and more going back to that conversation because I think it in its way it kind of predicted a lot of things that happened later and as I said that you know for me uh, when I think of mobile and I think of innovation I think uh, of Africa first although obviously there's other parts of the world where it's happening as well and to say how can we learn what's going on there and how can we learn from that and I think Tom you and I certainly have been influenced in in many ways in our approach to legal technology by our Canadian technology friends, Dan Pennington, Connie Crosby, Mark Taminga, Jordan Furlong, many others. So what do you find in terms of influence outside the U.S. that interesting to you these days? You know, I'm going to confess, I'm going to say something that may uh, rub people uh, the wrong way, but it almost, you know, I feel like, yes, we've certainly been influenced by our Canadian friends, but they're they're the closest to the United States. I mean, it seems like that proximity has had an effect on the exposure we get to their information. When I saw that question in, in the notes that we have for the podcast, I started thinking to myself, what else do I know about legal technology in the rest of the world? And I have to admit, I really don't know a lot. I think that there's a newsletter from, uh, I think that's Legal Technology Insider from the United Kingdom. So we've got some things going on there, but I have to admit that I can't think of a single other resource that would help educate me or help educate anybody in the United States on legal technology and the rest of the world. And I don't know if that's because we just don't know that they're out there and they're sitting there waiting for us to to discover them, whether they don't exist, whether they rely on, on U.S. tools. I mean, to me, that seems to be a little bit too U.S.-centric and a little egocentric to think that that's what, something that the rest of the world would be doing. But I have to confess, I just don't know what's out there. And I would be interested to learn more. I don't know if our listeners can suggest other resources, but Dennis, what about you? Anything other than than what I've talked about? As I was thinking about this, I said, wow, I just have a real blind spot on this and that I would like to map out you know, what's going on in the rest of the world. Now, I know a number of things. And like you said, that uh, Legal Tech Insider gives you, I think there's really interesting things happening in, in the UK. There's always been cool things happening with technology in Australia. I think of Europe for artificial intelligence and the law. I know there's some interesting things happening in, in India, both in terms of the outsourcing to India and what's happening in India itself. But, you know, partially time, clearly language is going to be certainly a barrier to me, uh, you know, as a totally English speaker. So that's one aspect of it. And then the forums, I think it's a little hard to say, yeah, where do I go to learn about this? Because I think you can search it out, but there isn't that sort of, I would like suggestions from, from the audience say, is there some sort of forum out there where you get more of a global conversation or you can have insights into what's going on in different parts of the world? I mean, I, you know, some of my articles have been published in, even in different languages, but in different parts of the world. So is there a forum? out there, or if there isn't, maybe that's something that you know, we or others could look into creating. And then I read this uh, blog post from Jerry Riskin in the last day or so called Law Firm Technology, Sebastian Carey, IT and the Legal Field in Latin America. And I was said, 
oh man, talk about the biggest blind spot I have. It has to be Latin America. I have no idea, other than that I have some audience of people I've been in touch with who are in different parts of South America. But, you know, that also seems like a big blind spot. So I don't know what we maybe we can do, you know, maybe as a result of this podcast to kind of bring uh, some of the global thinking about technology, you know, to create that type of forum. So I don't know. Have I convinced you that there might be something there on this topic? <laughs> well, I, I will leave it to our listeners to whether or not any of this makes sense. I think there's definitely a discussion to be had, but I think that it lies in what you just said. I think that we need to know more. I think that we need to learn more. I, I would agree that probably our um, appreciation for legal technology it would not call U.S.-centric. I would probably call it North America-centric because we have lots of contributions from our Canadian colleagues. But we'll mention this at the end of the podcast, but we'd love to hear what you have to say. Send us an email at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport and we will uh, try to address it on an upcoming podcast. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Thomas had a Samsung Galaxy S4 smartphone for a while. I recently started using an S4, along with my new personal smartphone, a new iPhone 5S. Yes, I actually like to carry two phones, at least at work. We thought we'd compare notes on the S4 today. For me, the S4, frankly, is just a little bit too big of a device, but I really do like it. And in, in no small part, I like it because it feels like a work phone to me. It has a zillion features you can customize to your heart's content. But Tom, that battery life seems like it might be an Achilles heel. What are your latest thoughts on the S4? Will you be keeping yours? Well, you know what I want to ask first? Before I say anything, I want to ask you the question, what do you mean that it feels like a work phone? What does that mean to you? Well, I was going to save this as a response to your response. <laughs> oh, then, okay. Sorry, I'm stealing your thunder, so I'll uh, I'll plow right ahead. So here's my surprise to you, which is uh, I was saving this, but I didn't talk to Dennis about this before the podcast, but I would say that as of today, the question doesn't totally apply because just yesterday, I went to the store and bought a Galaxy Note 3. So I'm now using a Note 3 instead of an S4, but when you think about it and you look in the store, a Note 3 is just a really big S4. So if you think the S4 is big, then uh, wait until you have what they call a phablet, half phone, half tablet in your hands. It is a large device, but it's not so large that it bothers me. It can still fit in my back pocket, but the screen is big. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's really great. I have to say that I love my Samsung phone. I loved the S4. I really like the Note 3. I absolutely plan on keeping it. As we've talked about on podcasts in the past, 
I really had some issues with the way that Apple was innovating with iOS. I just was not interested in the way that they were heading. They were improving on the product, but it was too incremental. It was it was not revolutionary. It was just uh, small improvements here and there. I really do like iOS 7, but really from a look and feel standpoint, I don't know that the functionality is incredibly closer to being the kind of customizable that Android is. But you know, I was thinking about this when we talked about having this during the segment today, and I think a lot of it has to do, and the reason why I like it so much is that Android is so plugged into Google, and there are so many different Google services that can integrate and can provide useful information and tools to a mobile phone or mobile device user. Search, mail, maps, Google+, Google Voice. There's tons of Google services that can provide something useful to the user, and I think that that has a lot to do with it. You know, if you look back at Apple, Apple really doesn't have much to integrate with iOS other than iCloud. Uh, Siri can provide you with some functionality, but you don't have all of the great tools that Google has available for Android. And I think that makes a huge difference to me is that I've become very Google-centric in terms of the tools that I use. And that's really useful for me. And I think that that has a lot to do with the innovation that's driving. So I'll, I'll say, I love my now Note 3 phone, but I love the Android phone and absolutely plan on keeping it. So what say you? Well, I saw a couple of notes yesterday at a family party and all I can say is oh my god those are <laughs> those are <laughs> those are huge they are huge but so why I say it makes a great work phone and, and people said wow that you figured out a really nice way to say that you hate this phone and and I said no absolutely not and it comes back to my job speed on notion and what am I hiring the S4 to do well what I was hiring it to do was to be my work phone knowing that I would be carrying two phones and I wanted to separate them and to have one for work and and one for personal. It accomplishes that really well. And so my comments won't make sense for somebody who wants to have everything on one device, obviously. So I have made the decision that I wanted to have two phones. So I want a difference between those phones. So the idea of having a, a personal iPhone and a work iPhone seems silly because then it's too easy to get them confused. And so I like the fact that it's different enough from that. It sort of has a more, it feels more like a work, laptop does as compared to my you know my MacBook Air so there's just that a really different feel to it and that's a good thing based on how I want to do it what I've noticed about the S4 is that I've spent way more time fussing around inside like three levels deep in menus kind of configuring things and messing around than I ever would in a couple of years with an iPhone so it's it's a different feel I sort of think and, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way Tom but I sort of feel that Android is somewhere between the BlackBerry OS and iOS because there is lots of great touch, a lot of different things, complex in some ways, you know, like who would know that you slide the side of your hand across the screen and to do a screen capture. I mean, once you learn it, it's kind of a cool thing, but that's not intuitive. And I also found that, that I'm sort of using more buttons and going down into more menus than I ever expected to. And then, you know, Tom, you and I talked a bit beforehand about battery life and 
there was a day last week where I plugged in my phone, you know, before I went home because I had, had serious concerns that I was the battery was going to last the whole drive home, and I, I just was sitting there watching the battery percentage go down almost in front of my eyes. Now I learned later that was because it was downloading apps in the background, which I didn't realize, which is sort of a good thing. But if you don't know it's coming and you don't have much battery life, that will surprise you. So that's sort of my sense time. I mean, generally these are great devices. I mean, and I see the benefit of them. I probably come down if you made me pick one i would still be back on the uh the iphone 5s which i like and we can talk about the fingerprint scanner and how cool i think that is but generally i'm quite pleased with the s4 and i don't know how big your pocket is though to to fit something bigger into (laughs) well let's not really get into pant size for this discussion but i you know i will say that i appreciate your argument and i agree with it but i also will say that i hope the day is coming soon where we can all say that we don't have two phones, that you don't have to keep two phones, one for work and one for home. I still think that that's an absurd division that I hope has a short life and that companies start to realize that employees should only have one device. I appreciate the reasons why companies need to keep things separate and that makes a lot of sense, but it just is amazing to me where I see two people uh, who sit down for lunch with me and they plop two phones out on the on there, which uh, these days is still an old BlackBerry and usually an iPhone. But I'm waiting for that day to come. I'll only say to you, Dennis, if you haven't already, I absolutely recommend downloading either Battery Guru or Juice Defender, um, which are two great battery management apps for Android. And just say, keep playing with Android. I totally agree with you. It's a complex system. It's I kind of compare it to Microsoft products. Uh, lots of people say that Word is too difficult to use. I would argue that it's because it's so powerful. It has so many features. It's so customizable. It has so much ability to do so many things that uh, it's overwhelming to people. And I would say that Android, in terms of operating systems, uh, falls in that realm too. iOS is appealing because it just works, because it's easy, because it doesn't have that much customization, because uh, Apple doesn't want you to customize it. They want to you know, have you do what they want you to do. I think that appeals to a large percentage of people, but people who want to have a little bit more control over things tend to opt towards the Android devices. So uh, let's uh, check back here in a couple of months and see if you're still loving it as much as you are now. Yeah, just a couple of things, Tom. I think I agree with you on the Windows thing. This is sort of like an emotionally charged comment to make when you compare something to Windows. But I think that Android and, as you said, the best elements of Windows in that there are many different ways to do things, a lot of power in there. Some of it's hidden, some of it's exposed. But I mean that as a positive comment as I compare it to Windows. Also, it's open, you know, which is is a huge thing. And and you alluded to that as part of what you were saying about your choice to go to to Android and how you sort of felt closed in in the the Apple environment. And then I'd also say that the two phones is my personal choice, and I want that physical separation. And and I suspect I'm in the minority on that, but that's something that I really want. But now it's time for our parting shots at one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
I want to uh, let everybody know about a slew of great technology titles that are getting ready to be released by the ABA Law Practice Division. Uh, a lot of them are one-hour books, so they are digestible and short books to read. Of course, Dennis and Allison Shields' book, LinkedIn in One Hour for Lawyer Second Edition, has already been published, but we have uh, on the way from the printers now, we have Adobe Acrobat in One Hour for Lawyers. We already have published Legal Project Management in One Hour. It's a great title. Um, and in the next month or so, you can expect to see uh, books on WorldDocs, on QuickBooks, on WordPress, on Microsoft Outlook 2013, a whole lot more books. They're all available at ababooks.org. And if you uh, want to read them on your iDevice, because they're easily available as iBooks, just look for them in the iBookstore shortly after they become available on ababooks.org. Dennis. And I want to do two things with the with my parting chap. One is to assuage just a little bit my guilt for not getting a blog post into the ABA's Law Technology Today <laughs> uh, blog by referring you to that blog because uh, there's a post called LinkedIn about our LinkedIn in one hour for lawyers book called Create a LinkedIn Action Plan that's an excerpt from the book. So if you want to get a, a sense of what's happening in that book, it pulls out an actual action plan we have in the book. It's at uh, lawtechnologytoday.org and you'll be able to find it. it was um, The post was done in, in late October. And then also uh, as a follow-up on our last podcast about either big data or not so big data in law, there's a white paper I know that our friend Gwen Monahan at Clio was involved in this, but it's from Clio and it's about big data in a small law firm setting. It's called Practice Metrics for a Small Law Firm and landing.goclio.com, big data underscore ebook.html. <laughs> Not a difficult URL right there at all. Um, so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, will be available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, and uh, you can also get to archives of all of our previous podcasts in both places as well. We'll be doing a year-end Q&A show in the next few weeks, so if you have a question that you want us to cover during that Q&A show, then please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast... I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Tell your friends about this podcast. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.